The JMF Advisors Show is a podcast for business owners, C-suite executives, and entrepreneurs who are looking to build, grow, or even exit a business. We bring in some of our best financial advisors to interview experts on business best practices, hot topics, and sprinkle in some tax and accounting help. If you're a business owner, startup founder, CFO, or just starting your side hustle, this podcast is for you. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the JMF's, JMF Advisors Show. I'm Bobby Ingram, a shareholder at Jameson Money Farmer, and my co-host today is Jennifer Stripling, who is a tax manager at Jameson Money Farmer. We're joined today by Dave McGuire of McGuire Sponsel, a specialty tax firm. Uh, Dave is an, a co-founder of that organization, and they work with approximately 450 different accounting firms across the country to provide various specialty services. Today, we're going to be talking about cost segregation. Welcome, Dave. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background and uh, your firm, McGuire Sponsel? Yeah, well, thank you for having me here. Um, as, uh, as you mentioned already, I deal mostly in cost segregation. I've been in the industry for about 25 years, starting in the late 90s. Worked with a couple of the, um, well, big five, I think, uh, back then, but now down to big four. And, uh, uh, but I am a little bit different than most people in the accounting profession is I don't have an accounting degree. Um, I do a lot of training for accountants, and I often will do training on tax law, and I'll point out at the beginning of the training that I'm probably the only person in the room without an accounting degree and who's never taken an accounting class. Um, I have a background in engineering, uh, but as I said, I've been kind of in the industry for about 25 years. Um, uh, we found a McGuire sponsor back 15 years ago with the idea to help uh, CPA firms with some of these specialty areas. Because a lot of these areas that we work in, whether it be R&D tax credits, we have an international tax consulting practice or cost segregation um, are areas that are very specialized and are difficult for people to provide on a cost-effective manner with the quality of work that their clients are used to without really having a, a decent-sized practice. So we started it back in 2007 with myself and my business partner, TJ Sponsel. We had two employees, so it was four of us at the time. One of those employees is now a partner, um, and we are up to about 100 people. Uh, we have offices in Indianapolis, Atlanta, uh, Louisville, Raleigh, North Carolina, and we are in the process of opening an office in Dallas, and, uh, and we will be opening an office in Phoenix early next year. Wow. Great. All right, let's get into cost segregation. So tell us a little about a little bit about cost segregations. What is a cost segregation study? And uh, maybe start with just a brief overview of what the study entails. Mm -hmm. So the idea of a cost segregation study is pretty simple. So if you look at real estate, what the IRS says is that real estate should be depreciated over 39 years. So if I buy a building, let's say I buy a building for $4.5 million. And that building on that $4.5 million purchase, let's just say $600,000 is land. I'm, I'm doing this to make the math easy in my head, um, just so you know that using round numbers. But so that means that the building and the depreciable assets would be worth $3.9 million. So what the IRS says, is you depreciate that building over 39 years. So every year I get $100,000 in depreciation deductions. It goes against my taxable income. I save money on my taxes, I'm happy. 
Now, most people know that the desk that you are sit both sitting behind or the microphones that you're using, that's equipment. Mm -hmm. And so what they would do is they know that the equipment goes on a five or seven year life, depending on how it's being used. And that's got a double declining balance. We've got bonus depreciation now, so we can write it all off for federal purposes. But what most people miss is that the building itself has a lot of those components built in. And that could be decorative lighting features. It could be uh, uh, carpeting. It could be even the parking lot outside the building. And typically you're looking at anywhere from 15 to 30% of a building cost can be these shorter lived items. What a cost segregation study does is it goes in and recognizes those items to help accelerate depreciation deductions. And what that does is it reduces someone's taxable income in the early years of an investment, which then they can reinvest or do something else with, pay down debt, reinvest back into their business, or just take advantage of time value of money. Um, I had a partner I worked with, this goes back many years, when I worked at uh, one of the big four. And I sat down, he would always tell people when he was explaining it to them, he would say, it's like getting an interest-free loan from the government. And until we actually met with one client, and that one client looked at him and said, it's not getting an interest-free loan from the government. And he said, well, what do you mean? And he said, no, if I don't do this, I'm giving the government an interest-free loan. And so it's an idea to basically allow you to hold on to your own money until the IRS says that you have to pay it to them. It's no different than if I met with a financial planner and I told them I'm getting a large refund when I file my tax return. There is no financial planner that will say getting a large refund from the IRS is a good idea. They want yeah. you just to owe just a little bit at the end of the year. So you right. hold on to your money through the entire year. A cost segregation study is the same idea except over one year, we're taking it over 40. Nice. All right, so let's talk about um, how does a cost segregation study work? If we have a client who constructs a new building, they let us know about it, we refer them to you guys. Um, tell us kind of a little bit about the process and how that would work for a client. Mm -hmm. Well, and so a cost segregation study is interesting and that's why I pointed out earlier, I have an engineering background because you really need to understand how a building is put together. So we have a team of people with engineering backgrounds, construction backgrounds, and other. And what we do is we go in, if you call me on that building, we're going to gather the construction documents. We want to see the blueprints. We want to see the construction invoices, everything that goes into that building. And then what we're going to do is we're going to look at those documents and determine what assets could be moved to a shorter life. Then we're going to go out and visit the building and make sure that it was actually built the way the documents actually say. Now, the, the issue is um, your blueprints might not tell us how much the wiring system is to a specific decorative lighting system within the building. And so what we're going to do is we're going to use our engineering background to break apart and componentize the building. And then we use national pricing manuals, whether that be RS means, Marshall Swift also publishes something to determine how much that component is worth as compared to the overall larger components of the electrical system in that, in that example, or same thing as we get into the plumbing system. So we're going to break apart each one of those assets. Um, same thing holds true on purchase properties. So just, you mentioned a new construction. We can even do this when you purchase a building. So if you come in and you buy a building and you know that, hey, this building has a parking lot, we can go in and our engineering team can go in and estimate how much that parking lot was worth as compared to the building as a whole. 
And so it doesn't have to be new construction. It can be purchases as well. Okay, great. You've touched a little bit on um, tax savings, tax benefit of accelerating deductions. Are there any potential pitfalls that uh, a client would need to look out for? There are, and, and it, it, it depends on the, the situation of the client. So one of the things that you have to watch out for is, number one, do you need the tax deduction? <laughs> I mean, it sounds relatively simple, but it, it's something that people often glance over because obviously uh, you are a CPA firm and you, you know the situation with your clients. There's a reason we work with you, is that you understand whether your clients can use it. Sometimes cost segregation studies are sold by people that don't necessarily have that understanding. And so my wife is a real estate professional. She'll get marketing emails all the time from people with cost segregation backgrounds trying to get her to introduce them to her clients. The problem is what they don't realize is she tends to deal with clients that are passive in their real estate businesses. And so a lot of those people can't use the deductions that are created. They create these large deductions. They're passive in nature. And so um, not to simplify tax law too much, but those if we create a big passive loss for somebody, and let's say it's a doctor that invests in real estate, that doctor may make $2 million a year in his medical practice, but if he's passive in his real estate practice and we create a $500,000 loss, he can't use that against the cost tax. Now, right. I will tell you, there are ways around that, either by bundling passive and active activities, if they have mirrored ownership in the real estate entity, by potentially adjusting rents that are paid. There are ways around some of that, but that's one of the biggest things. The other one we have to watch out for is uh, relatively simply how long they want to hold the property. Um, now, this isn't as much of a risk as it is something that people need to be aware of because we are creating what's called personal property in a transaction or recognizing it. We're not creating it, we're recognizing it. So let's say you have a $10 million building and I recognize that 2 million of that is that five and seven year personal property. Now, if you immediately sell that property you may have recapture on that, which basically 1245 recapture, which amounts to you're going to pay ordinary income on the gain you make from selling that personal property. Now, once again, there are some ways around some of this. This is, but it's something that people need to be aware of. Now, it's not going to cost you anything, but let's say I buy this $10 million building. I do a cost segregation study on it. I recognize $2 million. I take that as a deduction. And I'm at, let's just, for argument's sake, say I'm at a 35% tax rate. It means I saved $700,000 on my taxes. A year later, I sell that building because somebody walks in and offers me $15 million for it. Now, what'll happen is that $2 million worth of personal property, I'm probably going to have to pay a recapture penalty on that. Now, what'll happen is that's still at my ordinary income. So I'm just going to, assuming that $2 million is still worth $2 million, I'm going to repay that $700,000 to the IRS. Now, there was no risk. I got to hold on to my money for two years, but uh, I may have to pay that benefit back. So it's something that people need to be aware of if there's a chance they're going to sell it. Uh, but as I always tell people, it's what's the odds of that, um, that you're going to sell it in a couple of years? Is it really something you're planning on doing or just something that maybe there's a slight risk that somebody's going to come and offer you a decent amount of money for? Well, Dave, you, you may not be a CPA, but you've got a pretty good command of the relevant parts of the tax code. That's <laughs> impressive. 
Well, I appreciate that. I have spent 25 years. So I, I may not have taken an accounting class, but I only took four years of engineering and I've spent 25 years working in accounting firms. So I think that outweighs, I, I can tell you right now, you would not want to buy a bridge I designed anymore because my bridge <laughs> design skills have really fallen off in recent years. All right, Dave, how about talk about um, who are good clients uh, for a cost segregation study and, and what scenarios or what situations would you look out for um, to trigger a cost segregation? Mm -hmm. So it's a weird answer answering this because people often want to know a dollar amount. They want to say, hey, if I build a building that's a million dollars, does that make sense? Or if I build a building that's $200,000, does that make sense? We often give people a rule of thumb. In general, if you have a building over about $750,000, probably makes sense to look at. But I will tell you right now, we have projects going on for clients that have um, multiple single family homes where maybe they've only got a couple hundred thousand dollars in each one, um, but their portfolio makes sense. And, and it also depends on what their desire for cash flow is. I have some clients that if I tell them a cost seg study is going to cost X and they're going to save Y, as long as X is less than Y, they're going to move forward. I have other clients that want to see a certain multiple before it makes sense for them. And so it really depends on that kind of cash flow analysis. And so what we do is we always run that analysis for anyone free of charge. So that means that we can run that analysis, then they can make the determination whether that makes sense for their business instead of me saying, you need to look like this in order to make sense. Now I will point out the other thing that people need to consider is that cost segregation studies are done and it's considered an accounting method. So depreciation is an accounting method. And what that means is accounting methods are established according to the IRS after one year on a correct method or two years on an incorrect method. And the reason we can do this on a retroactive basis is the IRS sees that if you don't do a cost segregation study, you're actually on an incorrect method for depreciation. So that means after that first after a assets hit the books for two consecutive years, you have to file what's called a 3115 or a change in accounting method. But it also means that depreciation never drops off. So if you have a building that you acquired four years ago, you can still do a cost seg study on it today, even if you didn't in the past. And what'll happen is all the depreciation you could have taken in the last four years will get pushed through on your next year's tax return. So that becomes really important, especially right now. I know, depending on when this gets posted and where people are, I know there's a lot of people concerned about inflationary pressures, but also potentially recessionary pressures. That becomes an important planning situation when you're talking about a recessionary pressure, because we can free up cash flow as long as you've got the taxable income to absorb those deductions we create. If, let's say, 2022 is a great tax year for a business, and they have huge taxable income. They can push through those deductions that they might have missed out on in 2022. But if 2023 is a down year for their business, they might not be able to access them because they have to do it through that change in accounting method. So it flows through on that tax return. So it's important that you look at these things in years where you have high taxable income and not just hold on to them and say, well, I might access it next year. Um, because we did see that during the Great Recession. A lot of people wished they had yeah. done cost seg studies a couple years earlier to free up some extra cash for their business during that recessionary pressure. 
Well, the fact that they can come and, and get uh, the first quote for free, I think, is very helpful. Just uh, gives good information. How about, Dave, giving us some client success stories? So can you give us some real-world examples of cost segregations that your team has done and uh, some of the successes that have come out of those? Mm -hmm. and, and we've done them all over the board. Um, so I'm going to round the numbers just to make it simple. But we... Um, we did a warehouse just a couple years ago. It was about a $10 million warehouse. Um, and we moved in, uh, it was, I, I believe it was actually $10,199,300 once we separated out the land. But we're just gonna round it to 10 just to make the numbers <laughs> easier. But it was a $10 million warehouse and we moved approximately 10% of that warehouse dollar amount into land improvements, 15 year category. And about another 5% went into five year and seven year. Now what's important to note is this was a purchased property and it was purchased after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. The reason that's important is the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act created what's called 100% bonus depreciation. So in this building, we were able to accelerate about $1.5 million worth of assets into a shorter life. That shorter life because of bonus depreciation, they were able to write that off immediately. So that $1.5 million ended up being, and they were at a 30% tax rate, which meant they saved about $450,000 in year one on this warehouse. That's significant. They were able to reinvest that back into their business. What actually happened is that created some, that cash flow, they were able to utilize to actually buy um, some equipment for the building, which actually created a new production line, accelerated their growth. And then because of that, actually they called us the next year and said, hey, we just ended up buying the building next door because we created so much cash flow that we reinvested into the business, bought a new manufacturing line, which now means we need to grow again. Um, so that, that, that's the reason we like to actually point out that one. Uh, the other one that actually we just recently did is we had a client and um, obviously uh, everyone who's listening to this has probably been sitting in and listening to uh, investment uh, talk shows and other things talking about the VRBO market and the and the rental market. Well, we had a client that actually picked up about 10 VRBO properties. Um, average price was uh, probably about $750,000. They were larger properties. They were leasing them out on the VRBO market. Now, one thing that was important for them to note, number one, this was a real estate professional. So we were able to create some deductions for them. Number two, they had been looking at these as residential properties. One thing I didn't mention is residential rental is a 27 and a half year asset. Now, what's important to note though, is in order to qualify for that 27 and a half years, you have to be doing long-term leases and it has to be leases of over 30 days. All of their leases were on the one to two weeks because they were renting it through VRBO. So they were actually a 39 year category. So we did the cost seg study on the 10 properties. Their basis was about 7 million. We were able to accelerate about $1.5 million. Now, the reason I bring up, though, the uh, importance of that 39-year, they were also in the process of actually acquiring some for renovation. And because we were able to explain to them that they were more accurately a 39-year asset versus a 27-and-a-half-year asset, when they renovated, they were actually able to qualify a large portion of those renovations as what's called qualified improvement property, which is a completely deductible asset. So they were actually buying another five properties right after we finished the study. Each one of those five properties was going to 
require a significant amount of improvements uh, to the nature of those five properties. I believe the total amount was just over $2 million of improvements. All except for $300,000 of that improvement was what's called qualified improvement property. And we were able to get that into a complete deduction for them. Had they not had someone explain to them the difference between 27 and a half year and 39, all of that would have been capitalized. Um, so we were able to do that. We see different scenarios depending on the client. We've got a client that we've done some work for, for a large um, real estate company that ended up coming in and having someone, as soon as they developed a new office tower, it got leased out. And so they immediately sold it about a month after they leased out. This was a, um, hundred, uh, uh, I believe it was a 50 story office tower. Um, and what they wanted to do is not do the cost segregation study to maximize personal property. They actually needed us to come in and look at it because they had a difference between long and short term capital gains. So they needed us to look at each asset within the building and determine when that asset was actually installed by going back and actually analyzing the construction records. So they could determine was the HVAC system put in 12 months before they sold the building? Was the carpet put in three months before they sold the building? So they could play that delta between capital gains and ordinary income. Um, or long and ter- short term capital gains, I should say. Good stories. Sounds like you've got some happy clients. <laughs> well, and we try to work with different clients in different industries. So we've done everything from uh, working with people in uh, the uh, agricultural industry. We've done work in the automotive industry, uh, retail. Uh, we have a lot of car dealership clients, a lot of residential. And it really depends on where we are in the country, what we see. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if we're down in Texas right now, you see a lot of residential because people are building apartment units left and right. Uh, where you're at in Alabama, we see a decent amount of residential. We also see a decent amount of manufacturing yeah. and uh, warehousing space. And in this type of industry, you get to see trends. And during COVID, we started seeing a much bigger trend towards industrial space because people were moving away from traditional retail and moving to the online market space. So we, could, we saw in advance this explosion of industrial space in the marketplace, and we could see that coming from a little ways away. And so we get to see a lot of different things, and that's what keeps, that's what keeps work interesting. Okay, you mentioned that uh, you mentioned inflation and uh, potential for a recession um, and how that would affect the scenarios for businesses and um, cost segregation study. Is there anything that you see out on the horizon, any legislation, any changes in depreciation law, anything that people should be looking out for um, in the next few years? That's a, that's a good question. There's a couple things coming down the pipe that people need to be aware of. First one, and we didn't talk about it, but there is some interplay with what's called the 179D deduction, which is the energy efficient building deduction, and uh, 45L, which is a tax credit for the construction of energy efficient homes. Um, under the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 that just came out, um, those are changing slightly. And it's important that when people are doing cost segregation studies or when they're doing 179D or 45L studies, they understand the interactions of the two. And that's probably a completely different podcast because that gets into some really engineering terms. But what's important to know is before they do a 179D study, especially, they should talk to a cost segregation person because that's an acceleration of depreciation. 
And we might be able to accelerate it actually cheaper by doing a cost segregation study than by doing the 139D. Right. Um, we also see in 2023, I mentioned bonus depreciation. Right now, anything with a life of 20 years or less is uh, subject to bonus depreciation. And bonus depreciation has been 100% since the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. Starting uh, 1 1 of 23, that's going to start leveraging down by 20% a year unless they change the legislation, which there's a chance that that will happen. And so as that leverage is down, the time value of money is going to be affected. Now, what's important to note with that, that's based on when the asset's placed in service. So I mentioned earlier that we could do this on a retroactive basis. Let's say you build a building in 2022, but you don't do a cost segregation study on it. In 2024, we do the cost segregation study. We'll still be able to take bonus depreciation because that's based on when the building was placed in service. However, a building that's completed in 2023 or 2024, we're going to see that leverage down bonus. Still going to make sense. I started doing right. cost segregation studies in uh, 1997, and bonus depreciation had not been heard of yet. Bonus depreciation didn't come around until after in 2001 after the 9-11 attack. That's when they first brought up this concept. So that's something we need to watch out for. The other thing is um, uh, 163J, the interest limitations. So uh, with the 163J on the interest limitations, up until this year, um, or up until next year, I should say, interest has been, uh, the, the um, interest limitation has been 30% of your income. That income has been pretty closely tied to EBITDA. Now, what'll happen is starting in 2023, depreciation and amortization are going to be added back. So what'll happen is right now, let's say your EBITDA is a million dollars but you've got depreciation deductions of 700,000. That means in uh, 2022, 30% of a million you'd be able to take, which is uh, as your interest deduction, which is $300,000. Starting in 2023 though, if your depreciation is 700,000, it's going to be $90,000. So it's something you've got to watch out for um, moving forward. There's a good chance that will change. And so depending on when this is posted, who knows, we may even see something change before then. Um, that will probably be in some type of uh, tax extenders bill, which we would expect probably in the lame duck session after the midterm elections, depending on how the midterm elections go. Uh, that's typically when we see those type of legislation. But that's something you do need to watch out for in the next couple of years. Um, and then really, it's just a matter of where the economy goes. Um, cost segregation probably affected more on the real estate market. Um, are people making money in real estate? Where are they going? And, and we don't see that slowing down, even with potential recessionary pressures um, right now, because there's so much money right now that is being put in through non-traditional financing into the real estate market. And so people are still looking for opportunities. Uh, so we'll, we'll see where that goes. But my expectation is it's not going to slow down a whole lot. It's good to know. Anything else that you'd like to cover today, Dave or Bobby? Do you have any any specifics that you'd like to cover? I think Dave's done a great job, Dave. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and your and your clients. Um, never hesitate uh, if if for anybody watching this to reach out to obviously JMF and and uh, more than happy to jump on a call with you or your clients at any time. And I just appreciate the opportunity. Super. Thank you, Dave. All right.
Y'all want to wrap? Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dave, thank you. Yeah, yeah, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. No problem. Anytime you need anything, uh, never hesitate. I know in all my emails have gone back and forth. My cell phone number's on there. So if there are questions that come up from this or if after going through this, you go, oh, I wish we had covered that, just yeah. let me know. Um, I made sure to mark down what I was wearing today. So if something comes up and you go, <laughs> right. man, we need to we need to recover that. Um, I'll make sure to wear my burgundy uh, jacket and a and a blue shirt. So if, if something Perfect. comes up and you go, hey, we need to fix something. Um, like I said, we've done enough of these. I know how to squeeze those things in. Um, nice. It, it, it's happened before. And Dave, you guys do work on 179D and 45L projects, correct? Correct. Correct. And so we're not. I I didn't. Part of the reason I didn't cover that in detail, we're not 100% sure how these new changes are going to affect it. There's a lot of people saying, hey, it looks better because they're going off the bigger numbers. They're missing the fact that those require things like um, uh, paying prevailing wages. Okay. And a lot of people don't pay prevailing wages. And, and right now, the way it reads in the, in the law is that's across all uh, laborers and contractors on the site. So what does that mean for someone that hires um, uh, non-union labor to do the landscaping, to yeah. do the painting, other things? Will that push them to the lower deductions? Um, same thing on the 45L. There's still some modeling that needs to be done, and we need to see exactly how the IRS interprets it when they come out with regs, how they're going to interpret the Energy Star requirement. Because the Energy Star requirement is completely different than the IEC requirement. I, sorry, IECC requirement that we're dealing with right now. So for 2022, nothing changes. But starting in 2023, when some of these changes occur, we're going to have to see how some of it really does filter out um, as we start doing the math and the engineering work on it. I want to steal one more moment. I know we're, we're talking here on live air, but one quick question on how do you handle uh, a development that's going to be condominiums and therefore the units are sold soon after mm -hmm. building? Is there so still right opportunity now, there? There's still opportunity for the 45L. So the 45L actually goes to the developer, not the owner. So the okay. 45L goes to the person that owns it during the development process. And, and it's important to note, it's the person that owns it during the development process because that actually affects a lot of custom home builders because custom home builders often don't own it during the development process. Right. Um, so now I will tell you with that, under the current rules, it has to be three stories or less above okay. grade. So a condo that's three stories or less above grade, that would qualify, but one that's a eight-story uh, building would not qualify for the 45L. Um, so a condo complex, a, a low-rise condo complex would be a great opportunity for that. High-rise, then potentially you're not going to want to look at a whole lot of it. Okay. And then what, the way that works is if they do qualify, it's a reduction in basis, so it would increase their gain on sale. So let's say they're developing these con condos for $200,000 a piece. Um, and you get the $2,000 credit, you would reduce your basis of the development fees to 198. You sell it for 250, your gain on sale would be 52,000 versus 50,000. Right. Which is why if they don't qualify for the expanded credits <laughs> under the new rules, it might lessen some of it because you still have to tax affect it. So you've got to take into consideration all of that. Um, but yeah, condos, we do a lot of condo work. Um, we do a lot of single family homes, a lot of apartment developers, things like that. Super. Thank you. Producer? But yeah, if there's anything we can do, just let us know. Um, uh, I didn't get into opportunity zones, other things, obviously all that stuff affects 
uh, depreciation because sure. it affects basis and right. uh, the gain calculations and everything else. But honestly, um, that's one that people want to talk about, but there's not a whole lot of benefit for 99% of the people that want to talk about it. So I didn't really Seems want to like. go there anyways. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, we've been very pleased with what y'all have done for us. Well, we appreciate the opportunity. I told Mike, we'll, we'll, uh, I know Mike's been over there a few times. Mm-hmm. I have not been over to your office. I said, once we get past the, I told him I was going to be in town on 914. And I said, that's probably too close to the 915 deadline. <laughs> but once we get past the 915 yeah. deadline, the next time I'm in Atlanta, I said, let's schedule a trip to get over and uh, and, and drive over and, and go see you guys and yeah. uh, introduce myself in person. Absolutely. We'd love to have you come see us. All right. Well, thank you very much. All right. Dave, thank you again. If you would like us to help your business or would like to suggest additional podcast topics, simply send an email to info at jmf.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on YouTube and your favorite audio podcast apps.